Well, um, if you're back, welcome back. <laughs> I know it's mad. I just, it's, I guess because it's me, I, it, it's really hard to believe that people are interested in what I've got to say and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, we're not going to go into that. This is episode two. So welcome guys to episode two of the Black Podcast, Life in Between the Spaces. Um, just for recap the podcast is about me a black man living in this world a dad um a husband a brother a son um and all of the topics i talk about are going to be from the lens of blackness men don't talk black men don't talk um enough i'm not saying we don't talk we just don't talk enough and this is me sharing my experiences and stories through the lens of blackness um, and through my personality. So um, we're going to dig into this episode and this one is called Therapy. (laughs) This is going to be interesting. So if you know, I'm a Jamaican man. So I was born in Jamaica. I was born in Jamaica and I came to England four years old. Um, I hold on to my Jamaican-ness, even though a lot of people say, you're not really Jamaican because, do you know what I mean? You didn't spend a considerable amount of time in Jamaica, but um, I I am very Jamaican. My my mum is gent, was born in Jamaica um, and left later on in life, like 25, 27-ish. Um, so I'm very Jamaican. My, 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 my stepdad is Jamaican. My uncles, my aunts, all of them born in Jamaica. Um, back when I was like six, from the age of six, I used to go to America every year in the summertime. Um, and then I would always go to Jamaica as well for a couple of weeks. So, and that happened for, I don't know, about eight years up until I was about, I don't know, 14 or so. So every year. So I, I'm, I'm very Jamaican. (laughs) Uh, and I say that because Actually, let me track back because I think uh, there's some things in there that, that are quite important to say, which I didn't realize. And I know a lot of you are going to listen to this podcast and think, what? My man really was going to Jamaica every every year. Every, every America and Jamaica every year. You're rich. It's not that I was rich. I think what I realized is, and I don't know if my mom would admit this, and I haven't really asked her, maybe that's something I should, um, that it was cheaper than childcare. So in the summer holidays, when you've got kids, um, it's either they go nursery or some sort of play scheme, and it was cheaper to buy a, tr- a plane ticket and send me to my aunt's in America and, and then to go to Jamaica um, from there for a couple of weeks. So I'd spend the whole of six weeks there. Literally, it would be the first few days of holiday. So let's say if we broke up on the 18th. By the 19th, 20th, I was on a plane to America. And yeah, it wasn't until I got older, I realized, one, that was a privilege, but also it was cheaper. Um, it was cheaper to send me to America than, than pay childcare, which is weird. Anyway, so I say I'm Jamaican because therapy is something we do not believe in as a, as a community. Um, not even going on the level of being a man and a black man. Therapy in Jamaica um, or mental health in general is just a subject we skirt over. And I know it's changing as sort of we get into the new generation, millennials and Gen X and Y and Z and all of them thing there. Um, 
we are embracing mental health and what it is to talk about and share and be conscientious of our mental health. So some of those stigmas are breaking, but by and large, <laughs> we're not dealing with mental health. Like it's a, oh, I'm sad. Well, go and <laughs> go and be sad in your room or go and wash up the dishes. And like, we don't have time for like sadness and talking through emotions <laughs> and stuff like that. And I laugh because if you've had that experience, you just know, like there's no time for that. Like life goes on. And I was thinking about this the other day and, and maybe it comes from maybe that attitude um, to that like mental health comes from like slavery. Do you know what I mean? Or maybe not necessarily slavery in general, but just the way we've had to maneuver through life as black people. Like there's been far more important things to do with than being sad. Do you know what I mean? Uh, in the context of like transatlantic slavery, like, and I think the root of some of that is in that, but that's another story for another time. But anyway, from a Jamaican point of view, we don't deal with um, emotions in the same way to talk about them and unpack them and, and, and get someone to talk about them, especially another person, because another thing that we're um, really like guarded about is our business. Like we don't like chatting our life out, out of our circle. So therapy has always been um, a taboo for me. And up until the other day, it's always been a Man's strong enough anyway. I don't really need therapy, man. I've got I've got the ideas in my head. I can work through it on my own. Do you know what I mean? I would <laughs> I would say, and this isn't like a flex, it's just self-awareness. I'm quite intelligent. Um and so sometimes that's to my detriment. So and so I'm intelligent and I'm, I'm and I'm emotionally aware. So in my arrogance of that. Sorry, I still got a bit of a cold. I'd never really felt like therapy would do me any good because when I'm aware of my feelings, um, I've soaked up information and I feel I'm capable enough to work through my own feelings in my own head. Obviously, that's very stupid, very arrogant. Um, but that's where I was with it. It was like, all of the things, like I said, so it was like, man, I'm not going to be chatting out my business to nobody. Um, two, I don't need therapy. Like life just goes on. There's more important thing like mortgage and rent and food <laughs> and job and kids and whatever. Um, and then three, it was from that place of arrogance um, and chatting business if I haven't already said that. So I didn't really want to, I didn't really entertain it. But um what I mentioned in my last podcast was something came up, well, not necessarily came up. So I don't know my bi biological father and I think that stemmed, that has been the root of most of my, the, the road that has led me down to wanting to do therapy. Um, like I said, for, for years it hasn't really mattered to me and it means now I'm going to have to tell the whole story or some of it at least. So, um, I, um, yeah, I was born in Jamaica. My mum left Jamaica when I was four years old. I came over and my mum married, um, um, my sister's dad, um, who I know as my stepfather. 
and he was a loving, brilliant, um, God-fearing man. And I loved him. I called him daddy, called him dad. That was my father figure. He was considerably older than my mum. So I think, I don't even know. I think when he died, he was 70 and I was 15. So I think, and these are, this is some of the things that I'm, I've, I'm, I'm unpacking in therapy. I've unpacked in my head or I'm talking now and unpacking some of it. But, um, so even though I had a stepfather, um, a stepdad, I still felt very other. I still felt like I wasn't someone's. Even though my mum loved me and she gave me, or she had, she she gave me the most amazing life. Like I can't, I can't even sum it up. The sacrifices, the love that I've had, the sacrifices she's made, and the love that I've had in my life—it's been incredible. I am filled with love, and that's one of my superpowers. My mum poured love into me, like like no one could, and I love so much my heart is so big my my childhood was not void of love and laughter like those those things spilled over like it it filled the space in my life um and my mum sacrificed so much to make me happy so it wasn't that I was void of love um in that department but from a man I always felt and especially from my stepdad, and he, and he never did anything wrong. Like he never made me feel a certain way. He never treated me a certain way. And this is why I say I was, I was probably more emotionally aware than I realized, but I always felt other. I always felt like I wasn't his. And like I said, he didn't, he didn't do anything at all to make me feel that way. I just had that feeling. So I guess um, it, just, it just lingered with me. Um, and I got on with it. It was that Jamaican thing. I just got on with whatever that feeling was. It was okay. This is the situation. I don't, I don't know my dad. Um, I've got a stepfather, but I don't feel like I'm his, but I just got on with it. Like I said, (laughs) for all the reasons, maybe not at that age for every of the reasons for all the other reasons that I've said, but definitely from a, you know what, you just get on with it. Life goes on. You're happy. Like a, I have a ha- I had a happy life, so it was just one thing in a sea of other great things. Do you know what I mean? So it was like, okay, just move on with it, Rick. Um, and then I get to various stages of my life. Um, let me track back because I'm going too fast. So then my stepfather died when I was 15. Um, and then I, I guess I get to stages of my life around puberty, girls, just general life. And I didn't feel like I had anyone that I could talk to and relate with. Um, And even though my mum did the best she can, and I want to reiterate that, she did the best that she could. She taught me so much, like, (laughs) like shaving, just general hygiene, love things about women relationships like cars she tried her best to give me all of the knowledge that i felt probably that i would have got from a from my mom a man or a father figure or my dad 
So I get to these pivotal stages in my like development as a human being. So I get to like that adolescent teenage years and, you know, the hair starts growing and, and things start moving in, moving in different directions and you're getting more chemicals of certain sort and you're becoming a man. And I think at that point, it, it came up for me like I haven't got a dad to kind of direct me and show me life. Um, and then I get to like 18, 19, I start. Well, my mum buys me a car for, I think, I think it was my 18th birthday or it might have been my 20th birthday. I can't remember exactly. Um, and, then it, and, then it, and then it's those things around, okay, I have a car now. Um, what do I do? Um, what lessons do I take? How do I, do, how do I learn to drive? What's insurance? Do you know what I mean? All the things that I, I, I didn't know, I expected, I would have, ex- I, I wanted a dad around to tell me those things. We get past that point and we get into like uh, financial territory now so now I have access to credit and again I with like my mum telling me as much as she could I still and this is me retrospectively looking back so in the moments I'm not thinking like this I'm, I'm retrospectively looking back and I just feel like I knew nothing about credit I knew nothing about credit cards and and debt and money etc um because I just didn't feel like I got that so I'm saying all these things because I'm showing you the moments when the issue of not knowing my biological dad, it, it kept cropping up and I kept pushing it back, kept pushing it back. Then some things happened and I'll share that further down the line. I'm not comfortable sharing it yet, but there's some things that happened um, that impacted my family life um, tremendously. It changed me forever. It was one of those moments in life that changed you forever. And I had to take on a level of responsibility that um, that was huge. And I look back at it now and I don't know how I did it. And it's one of the things, it was one of the pivotal moments that I think rocked me and I was unable to articulate or move forward in my mind for a while um, because I never had a dad. So I had, to, I, had, I had all of this responsibility now. I had all of this responsibility to take care of my family, household, um, everything. Like I literally had to become an adult overnight. And I was so lost. I was so lost. I was in this phase of, all right, I, I, I haven't got, I'm not afforded the time or, or I don't know what it is. I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't process it because there were so much more important things that I had to do. I had to make sure that my sisters were okay, that the house was all right, the rent was paid, the water, like I had to be an adult. So all the things that I'm, I'm dealing with now in my adult life as a 40-year-old man, to a degree, not all the things, but majority of the things, I had to do as a 19-year-old without a dad. And I was so lost and I didn't have the time to process it. I just knew I needed to step up and, and make sure things didn't crash and burn. 
And, and that was a pivotal time for me because I remember just feeling so lost. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing, um, but somehow I've got to do this without any instructions, um, without any guidance. <laughs> I've just got to do this. Um, then Michelle comes along. Michelle's my wife, by the way. Um, she comes along maybe two years into that period of my life. And um, I fall madly in love. <laughs> and for a number of years, um, that feeling of not having a dad doesn't hit me yet again. Because now I'm on this other path, this sort of path of new adulthood, finding a partner um, and starting on the early journeys of starting a new life with somebody. Um, I'm skipping up all the frogs that I dated and wicked women that I've been with. <laughs> but we'll talk about that in another time. But we'll skip that and just and go to that part and just say, at that point, um, it didn't really matter. I guess there were little points where I, it would have been great to have a dad to kind of talk about my feelings and my intentions for this young lady called Michelle and, and what marriage should look like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it didn't matter too much. I guess I was taken up in the moment or in that new life that I was creating with her. Then a year after we get married, um, Michelle gets pregnant and bam, it hits me again. I'm going to be a dad. Um, and I think at the time I didn't know um, the gender of, of the baby, which is now Tia. So it was a girl. Tia is 12 now. Um, I didn't know the gender. Um, and I don't think it mattered at the time. I just knew I was going to be a dad. And it, it just rocked me. It was like... I, I, I'm going to be a dad and I, I still haven't found me because I feel like there's this missing piece. Um, and, and I became a dad and again, I had to deal with it. I just had to move forward. And then, um, various moments through that, it, it cropped up as it would different stages of tears developments. And then you've got to have different tools of, um, growing up a child and all again at those points those things came then Ari came um in 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 the midst of covid and it came up again at different points um and I'm saying this just to preface therapy so I want to get to the point and maybe I'll dig into some of this other stuff in another podcast in more depth because it's quite deep I don't want to miss it anyway so we get to um, 22 and <laughs> Sean, my, um, my youngest child who was born in January is on the radar. So Michelle's pregnant again. And this time I know it's a boy and I don't know what it is, but for some reason, knowing it's a boy has rocked me like proper rocked me into what am I? going to do raising a boy like I'm not qualified I can't do this I don't even know myself I don't even know myself through some through 
like another man's eyes, if that makes sense, my dad's eyes. Um, I don't know myself like that to then have to give that to someone else. How do, how am I going to do it? Um, and what I realized is throughout the journey of Michelle's pregnancy and early months of Sean being born, um, also me turning 40 in October, those feelings that I've been pushing back at various points in my life and multiple times. So we're talking about like hundreds of times. It's going to be at least where that feeling of not knowing my dad has come up and what it meant for my identity, what it meant for my self-esteem, what it meant for how I feel like I was moving through the world just kept coming up. Um, and it was on the surface. So anytime something came on about like someone's dad or manhood or whatever, I would go into deep thought or I would get emotional, not visibly, um, but I would feel the emotion of it. I would, I'd, I'd want to cry. I'd want to cry. Um, and I knew, and I guess this is where the arrogance of my emotional intelligence comes in, in a good way. I knew I needed to do something about it. Like there was no way that I could watch something um, that had to do with any sort of estranged fatherhood or manhood, or I'd hear a song or I'd hear, see something on TV or a conversation would come up randomly and the emotion would just be on the surface all the time. So I said to myself, you know what? I need to do something about this because if I don't, it's not, <laughs> I just don't know what it looks like to be like on the other end without it having like giving it attention. I hope I'm making sense. And so I decided to do therapy and it was the hardest decision to ever make because of all the reasons, because I'm Jamaican and because I'm a man and because I'm black. Some of the things that are like the objections were, um, and again, this is ignorance and this is me being open and honest. If I'm going to go and have therapy, is it going to be a black woman or a black man? Or is it most likely going to be a white woman or a white man? And will they understand? Will they understand me? Will they understand? Will I have to spend hours and hours explaining thought processes and um, behaviors based on like my cultural background? Things that I've never, things that I don't normally have to explain to people around me. Do you know what I mean? Because my circle is... My circle is, um, as in my tight circle is, is very, um, very much in my culture, Jamaican, black, do you know what I mean? Um, come from a certain, I don't know, like style of brought up see as they call it, brought up see as they call it, um, for the people listening in that <laughs> not Jamaican or understand Patwa, it just means they come from a, a certain way of being brought up. Um, I was just so worried. I was like, I'm going to spend all this time really trying to unpack something just so we can get to base level before we start dealing with the actual problem. Um, so I had to fight. I fought many years, like many years to get to the point where I was like, nah, I need to do something about it. So at the time, and thankfully, um, my work had a, um, as part of the perks, there was, um, a subscription to 
a service called Spill, and it would allow you um, free therapy sessions, basically. I think up to 20, up to, well, no, you could have an hour at any point uh, every month or whatever. Um, uh, and you could talk about anything. So I was like, you know what? This is a good way for me to get into it for free so I don't feel like I'm wasting my money or my time um, and just have a session. Um, so I had a session with like a, I would say like a Philippinean woman. And I'm not going to lie at first, I thought it was going to be a waste of time. I was like, what are you going to understand <laughs> about me and my life and my journey and my blackness um, and my culture that's helped shape who I am and informs my decisions and my whole psyche? What are you going to understand about it? Um, so there was a lot of hesitation. Um, but let me tell you something, guys, for, for free. It was the best thing that I've done. And it took me a while to get to that point. Um, because um, I am the type of person, I like solutions. So if there's a problem, I want to find out what the solution is, or I, I need you to tell me what the solution is, or I need you to tell me how to get to that point. Do you know what I mean? So if you say you want a cake and you say you want a fruit cake, tell me the ingredients and I'll go and bake it. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think with my first session, and I've only done one, so I'm not going to be here like preaching like I've done many, um, and, and, and I want to go back and, and try it again, and maybe with a different counsellor, not because she wasn't great, she was really good at her job, I just think uh, I, I want to dip around, you know, until I find something I feel works for me. Um, I guess because it's a new, because it's a new, it's new territory, I think it's it's wise of me to try different versions and different flavors um, to then settle on what I think is going to work best for me. So whilst I think she did an amazing job, I still need to go back and, and try it. Any anyway, I feel like I'm babbling, but to get back to the point is um, I like solutions. So my first session, I felt like I needed you to give me the answer. I needed you to tell me why. This feeling of inadequacy is in me. This feeling around my getting to try to find or know my biological father. Like, I need you to explain it to me and tell me how I deal with it. How do I stop feeling this way? How do I feel? How do I feel whole? How do I not have these feelings of inadequacy and um, like I can't do fatherhood because I don't have a father? How do I solve that? Um, and the first session came nowhere near, <laughs> nowhere near um, even answering any of those questions. And so at first I felt like it was a failure, but she did, when I was like, had some time to reflect, what I got was some, one, just to be able to talk and share everything that I've been holding for 35 years 30 years do you know what I mean just share, as much as you can in an hour just share and talk about my feelings and like why I'm here having therapy um so on one hand it was just good to talk and let some of that out some of the stuff that's just lived in my head forever and I've never said out loud 
Um, and I think what it did do, she gave me some tools to start to be able to, and I hate, I don't hate the word. I just think it's like one of those influencer words now. Unpack. And I know I've said it a few times, so shame on me. Just unpack my experience and thoughts and feelings. Um, to put them in the light of day and then be able to deal with them one by one. Um, and so whilst I am so far from cured and I'm going to get onto that, I don't think therapy is about curing. It's about learning to, to manage and, and having tools to help you deal with whatever you need to deal with. Um, it's a moving target. There's always going to be something. So excuse my language. Like if, like obviously I just said cure, but I'm still working through it and I'm still trying to understand it. Um, but therapy is something that I would advise to anyone, especially black men, um, that fight the stigma as much as you can. Um, and obviously this is someone talking, I'm talking about it from the other side. Um, so it might be easier said than done, but I've been there. Like, like I just told you the background I came from, my thoughts and feelings, my beliefs all stopped me from doing it, but it has been the best thing that I've done. Seeking professional advice or professional, I don't know what you call it, treatment, um, to help me navigate my thoughts and feelings of where I am now in my life. Um, so black men, I'm talking to you specifically. Um, go and do it. Find someone. Try, try different, try different therapists. Um, but talk. Start the journey of talking because it's important. Um, and I can honestly say that because I've had that one session. It's definitely enabled me to start to be more open about where I am in my mind, in my esteem, in my thoughts, um, and has enabled me to open up to the people around me and start having deeper and more meaningful conversations and connections. Uh, one of the things, and I guess it's probably what I'm going to talk about next, is one of the things that was a byproduct of me not talking and also has been a byproduct of me not knowing my dad is I've struggled to build relationships with men. Um, and I think whenever I get to a point where I might have like a really, that's my dog, that's my best friend. Um, I pull back because I don't want to get hurt or I just just don't know what that looks like. So, um, yeah, I'm going to talk about any other podcast. I think that's going to be the next thing is to talk about some of the struggles that that particular thing, not knowing my dad, has caused and shaped some of my behavior. I just feel like I just babbled for half an hour. But, yeah, <laughs> thank you.
therapy is something that everyone should at least try. Um, and start small if you need to. Find someone you can confide in and talk. Find an air that you can talk to someone you can talk to. Um, so that's what I would advise. Um, yeah. I hope this episode has made sense. I feel like I've just babbled. Um, but I hope you get something from this. It's been very difficult for me to share some of these things. And I, again, like I, I really hope you get something from it. This has been the second episode of the Black Podcast. It's been a deep one. The podcast is the life between spaces. Um, please do all the good stuff. Subscribe, share it with another black man. Tell a black man to tell a black man. And I'll see you next week. I don't think I'm going to do any more this week. I might do one when I'm away for Christmas. So please check in, subscribe, and I'll drop a poll down and, and leave some suggestions on what you think I should talk about next, what you'd like me to talk about. Um, and this is for us. So I want you to be as interactive as possible. Um, and I'll go as deep as possible or lighthearted as possible. So you let me know and I'll, and I'll do it. Um, so, yeah, this is the second one, man. And this has been fun. Um, so, yeah, like I said, tell a black man to tell a black man. And I'll see you in a bit.